Hello and welcome to the Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today I'm with Susie Finkbeiner, the author of the magnificent novel, The Nature of Small Birds. Susie, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me back. Now, first things, and I, I like to do this for fiction writers in particular at the start of the podcast, just begin by giving us your elevator pitch for the book. Well, this story is the story of the events surrounding um, the adoption of 3,000 children from Vietnam at the end of the United States involvement in, in the Vietnam War. And it's the story of one of the families that adopted a little girl. And the title comes from where? Because, uh, and I'll, I think we may have talked about this book at the end of uh, our podcast last year when I yeah. had you on to talk about stories that bind us. Uh, but for the life of me, I could not remember at all. I remembered vaguely that it was going to be about adoption. That was about it. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw the title... Uh, I, I purposefully, from there on out, tried to not know anything about the book until I had the the advanced copy uh, in my hands and I could read it. Um, I did not know where the title was going. It ends up being this really beautiful metaphor. So what was the process in coming up with the title? Well, you know, I'm, I am a tiny bit bird obsessed. I'm I'm a bird nerd in my personal life. And so I find that birds make good metaphors for fiction. In fact, I use it too much. But um, I, I was just thinking about how birds fledge and they cannot stay in the nest. And, and it's their nature to, to grow up and leave. And often with these birds, they leave and never come back. Fortunately, with humans, that's not usually the case. Mm -hmm. But um, I just thought that that was such a, a metaphor for letting go. And I remember last spring I was watching a bird, a fledgling, and its mother, like, nudged it <laughs> out of the nest. And and just because that, that mama bird knows that that's, that's what's supposed to happen. And sometimes as parents, it's hard for us to... Remember, our kids, we raise them so that they will fly and have their lives. And so that's that's kind of where the, the workings of that metaphor began in my mind. And how does that how does that play out throughout the book? Well, you know, I I realized as I was writing it that um, just for the listeners, this this book is set in three different timelines. Mm -hmm. So in 1975 in 1988 and 2013 and in each of the timelines the point of view for that specific era is learning how to let go of something um, maybe it's expectations or um, it's letting go of your childhood so you can grow up or it's it's realizing that you have to let go of your parents even at some point, um, as well as your children. And life is, life is a series of letting go mm -hmm. and allowing, allowing the nature that God created in all of us to play out. Mm -hmm. 
that story. I cried a lot <laughs> while writing this book. <laughs> well, I, I cried a lot while reading the book uh, as well. Um, it's, I think especially as a parent, uh, and my kids are young. My kids are, are three and one. So they have a lot of, uh, they have a lot of time left in the nest before, uh, mm-hmm. before I, I, I have to nudge them out their way. Uh, but <laughs> as someone who has worked as a coach and has been a youth pastor, I have long preached that idea that the goal that we're building in our kids is independence. That mm-hmm. we we are we want them to learn, we want them to grow in this safe, nurtured environment. But it's it's not to stay there. It's to, to go out into the world and and to, to do their things, to do what they have been called to do. And sometimes mm-hmm. that does mean that there are painful separations, uh, and that those painful separations are you know for for our good. Um, yeah. We're talking about this, though, and you gave me your elevator pitch and you told me it was a story about adoption in the Vietnam War. How, how do those stories, you know, how does that how does that theme connect? Because it's about letting go. Obviously, it's set in three different timelines, but it's also around the story mm-hmm. of, of adoption. So how do how do those two themes uh, bring themselves together? Well, um, I think that the character Bruce particularly mm-hmm. he his point of view is 2013 and um as a father he's felt very protective particularly of Min who also is called Mindy in the story um the the daughter that he and his wife adopted from Vietnam um just because of all that she had endured um living in a war-torn country before being brought to the United States and just the protection he felt for her and realizing that he has to let her live her life and um, he can't, he can't shelter her forever and um, he needs to let her go knowing that her shelter will be with God. Um, and I, I've heard from other friends who have adopted internationally, but that is a mm-hmm. struggle mm-hmm. Um, just because there's so, so much um, that so much emotional and psychological um, stuff to, to, to sort through both as parents and as a child. And, and so our instinct is to protect our kids, right? You know, you, mm-hmm. you want, you want the best for them. You want them to be safe. You want them to, be shielded. And I think with so much um, extra emotional, sometimes turmoil or trauma that some of these kiddos have, um, the instinct is to protect them a little extra. And I, that's what Bruce was dealing with mm-hmm. in the book. There, there's also this sense that um, these kids that are younger as well, they like Adoption is trauma, even in the best of ways, mm-hmm. you know, at its very best. Um, adoption is not the is not plan A. Um, right. You know, I, I say that as the dad of two adopted kids. Um, mm-hmm. I it, it is, you know, the best plan was for them to be adopted, but that is not the plan that 
it, it's the product of a broken world. Yeah. And particularly mm-hmm. so uh, when we're talking about men's story uh, mm-hmm. coming as a young child from a country that uh, is at war um, and is going to is going to grow up with sort of I think shadowy reflections of her pre-adoptive childhood but she's not really old mm-hmm. enough to have a fully formed memory of right. before being adopted and the memory that she has is uh, affected by by the trauma of um, her young childhood and then the trauma of adoption of being suddenly placed with a new family with a new language uh, with mm-hmm. new expectations um so there there definitely is that sense of like as a parent as an adoptive parent you really want to protect your child from the broken thing they came from yeah and mm-hmm. knowing that and this is this is uh sort of the the realization that Bruce comes to in the book is that um you know an adult man needs to understand that aspect of her past and needs to yeah. to know where she came from that mm-hmm. it's becoming it is becoming uh, a more important topic in adoption circles it is becoming something that adoptive families and uh, adoption organizations are doing much better about but in the yeah. 1970s that really wasn't the case at all Oh, no. (laughs) Tell me tell me about what you learned about, I guess, the adoption process. I guess in in particular, we could even just be specific about um, Operation Baby Lift, because that is a real life Mm -hmm. historical event. Um, So let's start there and and just sort of talk about adoption and the way in which uh, it's progressed from the 1970s until now. Well, the the events surrounding Operation Baby Lift, which was um, the United States, Canada, Australia, were responsible for airlifting 3,000 children, Vietnamese children, to Western countries, um, those three Western countries to be adopted. And I don't know a whole lot about other kinds of adoption in the 1970s. Um, other than the Operation Baby Lift, it was very different from mm, what I hear, no. though. Um, it was fast. It was um, it was not particularly well organized. Um, a lot of a lot of the children came without any paperwork at all, and so they didn't know how old they were. Um, they they weren't even sure if these children had living parents in Vietnam somewhere. It was, it was very, very different. Many of the children though, um, were already had placements in the United States. So their, their adoptions were expedited. Um, but, but that wasn't the case for a lot of them. And it, it was a messy process. And one thing that I, I didn't have a lot of time to touch on in the book was that, after a few months of the kids being here, their adoptive parents were told that they might get sent back mm-hmm. 
because the adoptions might not have been legal. And um, most of those parents never heard from immigration again about the topic at all. And so they were in limbo for years. Um, and then immigration kind of just dropped it. But there were a few Vietnamese families that sued to get their children back. Hmm. So um, because they were brought against the parents' wishes. Mm -hmm. um, the parents didn't relinquish rights. So there was a lot of messy, sad, heartbreaking things that happened around this. And um, there were even some families here in the United States who could not adopt under normal circumstances. But because of the nature of Operation Baby Lift, they were allowed to. So there were some kids that were adopted into really awful situations. Um, and, and just hearing our, all of those stories, there's so many stories that came out of this and, um, so many stories that just tear your heart out because here are these, these now they're middle-aged people, mm -hmm. um, are, are finally able to find some of their biological family and um, finding that maybe their mother died a few years ago or something like that. Um, but it, it's just, it's, it's the kind of story from history that is, is forgotten. It's, it's kind of um, a part of the Vietnam War that we don't, we don't hear about very often. Mm -hmm. And I think, but I think it's an important thing for us to think about and to, to really consider why the United States did this and the way they did it. And um, I tried not to, to voice any opinion because I, I don't know that I have one mm -hmm. because it was so convoluted. Mm -hmm. It really was. Yeah. This, like this in particular uh, was almost a linchpin moment in the adoption world in terms of, uh, the United States, um, you know, and Canada, Australia, I know less about their systems, um, of being like, you know, we, we rush in, we save the children, we did a good thing. And then, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, we're looking at these unintended consequences because this wasn't well planned. Uh, it wasn't as well thought through. And it mm -hmm. really did begin a change that took time over the 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, to where you know laws were changed to hopefully help prevent um, some of some of these these things like this happening because it was an, yes. unfortunately um, you know just a just a messy messy procedure and I mm -hmm. I do like that in the book um, you know the, the entire novel really could have been about this just this um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> But that's that's in the background is like this is this is men's story, uh, but she does get placed in a great family, and mm -hmm. so you you end up with this dichotomy uh, in her life of being like you, I think you almost feel guilty for wanting to know about your your birth family. When your mm -hmm. adopt when your adoptive family has been you know so good to you and and you you kind of see that in the in the 2013 storyline when when Min is an adult and she begins that search 
for her for her biological family and you have uh, you you have Bruce who's trying to determine how does he feel about that you have uh, the the sister Sunny trying to determine how she feels about that mm-hmm. uh, that becomes a major major part of the book and I know that that is also a historical thing um, that the way in which she makes a connection to um, the way that she begins to go search for a family is something that a lot of people are doing. Uh, what were mm-hmm. some stories that you came across when you're researching that aspect of the book? You know, the one, one of the stories that, that I, I enjoyed the most, um, it was a, it was kind of a mini documentary about a woman living in Canada who, um, her parents, her adoptive parents were so amazing and they they told her as she was growing up if ever you're ready Hmm. we are saving up for the trip Hmm. so they they were encouraging her even if even if she didn't want to reconnect with her biological mother her birth mother um they still wanted her to visit vietnam to to learn about her culture and to to see things and experience things and and just the way that this family and her sisters they the way they functioned together was just so beautiful and um and she ended up reconnecting with her birth mom and it was just one of those stories where you just and and she did say that even though her parents were so supportive she still felt guilty because, you know, just it, that is, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those, um, rack in a hard place type situations, but, um, her parents were unrelentingly supportive, <laughs> which is so beautiful to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there were other stories where, where the, um, the, the child grows up and realizes I, this, this family, I, I never felt like I belonged in, in my American family and um, tried to reconnect with their, their birth family in a, in a desire to find, to find home. And um, some of them were able to connect in that way and some were not. Um, the cultural difference between the West and, um, and Vietnam, it's very, very different. And the expectations of family um, can be very different too, and and that can be jarring if someone's not prepared. And and so there are documentaries um, in in the nature of small birds. I talked about a documentary in which um, it didn't end well, and that actually was modeled after a true documentary called um, Daughter from Da Nang, and it you know you you watch. For research, I watched it twice because I really wanted to get nuance and get, you know, to, to really absorb the life of these, these true people who I wanted to represent well. And each time I just, it, it, it destroyed my heart Mm -hmm. just to see the pain, the pain of this, um, of, of how it impacted an entire life. And it was while watching that. Originally, I'd planned to write the entire novel set in 1975, mm-hmm. but it was while watching that documentary when I, I thought, 
adoption isn't just a year effort. It's, it's a life. And yeah. I wanted to represent how, how it's life. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's so much more than I could capture in just one little snapshot. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I incorporated the two other timelines. Mm-hmm. So that, that really captures the, the 70s and the, and the 2013 storyline. When did that 1980s storyline come into play? Well, I, I really wanted to to build the dynamic between Min and her sister Sunny, mm-hmm. um, because that that relationship was essential for for the story and um, for for Min really growing up into an identity of who she is and. Um, and it was a lot of fun to write the eighties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I just felt like it was so important to, to really work in the middle part mm-hmm. between 75 and 2013, just to show the progress. Yeah. I, I think I wrote in my review that the, the 1988 storyline, it, it, it's sort of more lighthearted. It, it kind of, mm-hmm. um, is a, it, it's a more typical coming of age sort of storyline, and it provides a, a kind of, I guess, a good refreshing uh, break to the mm. drama that's happening in the other the other two storylines. Um, just just sort of a different different tone that brings a little more depth uh, to to the book. Um, when you were writing these storylines, just from a structural perspective, I'm curious. Uh, did you did you write each storyline one at a time, or did you like go through them sequentially, like it's laid out in the finished book? You know, I I tried to do it one at a time, mm-hmm. but I I just couldn't do it, and so I did write it sequentially. Um, it's so funny because I think I was I decided to restructure the format of the book from just the 1975 timeline, which was what I I was writing originally. And then about February last year, I thought, maybe I'll complicate it a little bit more and add the three different timelines. And then COVID, and my kids were home. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was just like, I've committed to this. I can't. Mm-hmm. I, it wouldn't be right to change it now, but this is the most complex storyline I've written in the most complex time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say it, it took me... Um, you know, maybe the first 50 pages to really feel oriented in the text. Like I knew Mm -hmm. who each person was and I knew how old they were approximately in each storyline. And um, one of the things that threw me off initially, but it did become one of my favorite things later on, was the fact that the 2013 storyline is Bruce in his 60s. Uh, you know, with mm-hmm. his with his adult children, and he's also dealing with um, his elderly parents. Uh, be, because the other storylines, you know, you have a young family in the 70s, uh, you have teenagers in the 80s, <laughs> and then so for it to be a different, you know, different age, it, 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 it did take me a little bit to be like, okay, we're not following the generations down. And I think that's that's typical of how. Uh, some stories that deal with multiple timelines 
it's also you know multi generation. But going back mm-hmm. to the original generation to see with all that perspective, uh, once I once I figured out where I was at in the story, uh, I really appreciated getting that perspective uh, from Bruce Thank rather you. rather than it just being uh, even because even even though uh, this even though so much of the story is about men then we really don't get her direct perspective at all throughout mm-hmm. the book. Was there ever a point where you were like, you know, I need to say something direct from her perspective or what was your intention on not giving her a direct, I don't want to say a direct voice, uh, but I guess no. a, direct, a direct perspective might be. Um, honestly. And um, this, I, I, I haven't talked about much at all with anyone, but um, I originally had intended to write her point of view and then American dirt came out and Mm -hmm. there was so much to do about um, a white woman Mm -hmm. writing um, a different ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my main concern in writing fiction is, is number one to provide hope and number two to not hurt anyone. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I was, I prayed about it. I, I gnashed my teeth over it mm-hmm. and I realized I, I don't have the right to tell that part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so um, it was an intentional choice um, just because I, I believe that there are, there are Vietnamese authors who can tell that and mm-hmm. um, who should tell it and have. And so um, I, I adore Min. Um, she became one of the most dear characters that I've ever been able to write just because she she's deep and she's a reader and um, she's kind. She's mm-hmm. so, so kind. And and I, you know, I just I didn't want to hurt anyone with mm-hmm. something that I wrote. Mm-hmm. I, I think it does a good job of. Yeah, it comes across as genuine. You see, you you see her story uh, quite fully, and you see her effect in her relationships with um, throughout her life with the other people mm-hmm. in the story. And I, I liked how how it how it worked out um, through all of that. Thank you. Uh, your last book, Stories That Bind Us, uh, also dealt with racial issues. Uh, mm-hmm. And that one in particular highlighted the racial stigma against our black brothers and sisters. This one, this one kind of does the same with a focus on the racial tensions as a result of the Vietnam War, racial stigma against the Asian population. Mm-hmm. What and the, you know, this book is not a case study on racial relations. It's it, it's there no. in the background. It's presented um, very well. It's a nuance uh, to the story. But that that sort of tension seems to be something that you continually come back to in your writing. Um, is that something that you seek out, or like what what is your um, like like why do you think you you find yourself drawn to those kinds of stories? You know, in in every era that I research, <laughs> um, there is an element of of racial. Hmm brokenness you know just brokenness between the way that that people are treated because of the color of their 
skin or the country where they they may have moved from or or the the origins of you know their ethnicity there's always that it's always there and so um every time i think i'm not i'm not going to get into any racial issues in this one and mm-hmm. it happens um i rem- i i am i'm an older woman these days and i i grew up i was born in 78 so i didn't wasn't around for the very end of the vietnam war but um i grew up in the 80s when um the 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 way pe- some people talked about about um people from asia or um with that ethnicity the way that they talked about them was horrible and I didn't realize it was horrible because I was so used to hearing it. Um, and I mean, fortunately, my dad's a Vietnam, but it didn't ever come from him, which I'm mm-hmm. really, I really appreciate. And in fact, he's the one that told me that what you just heard was wrong. That was bad. Um, but I just, it's, it's, it's always there. Even if there, the racial tension is, is, is quiet it's still there mm-hmm. um it's it's part of american history and to ignore it is to ignore uh what i do believe is the original sin of our country mm-hmm. and i know that some people won't appreciate that um but but we've got to we have to build empathy and we need to we need to stand up for for people who are being treated terribly, no matter why they're being treated terribly. But as Christ followers, it is our job to say that's wrong. Mm -hmm. And we need to, we need to work together to right that wrong. Mm -hmm. And the only voice I really have is in my fiction. (laughs) Um, That's where I have influence. And so it's never like I have an ax to grind. It's, it's never that I plan it. It just, it happens. And in researching this novel, I did speak with some of my Asian American friends and um, heard about some of their experiences. And I knew some of it, but actually hearing all of it, it, it just, it was so horrifying to me that they hear these things at church and um, in the grocery store and um, they get looked at a certain way. And I, I just, it, it breaks my heart. And mm-hmm. um, as a church, as Christians, we must do better. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the, sort of side plots in this story is Bruce's mother and uh, her (laughs) yeah um, she her her brokenness is different than Mm -hmm. the other characters in the book and you write her so well because she is both you both empathize and you are just maddenly frustrated entirely with mm-hmm. her and 
again, as as an adoptive dad, I'm so fortunate that my own parents um, are are not <laughs> are, are not not Hilda at all. Um, right. But are you right. know are, are wonderful and loving. But it really made me. It, it 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 did put me into that mindset of like, what would I do, you know what 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 would I do, as an adoptive dad, if mm-hmm. my mom, reacted that way. Uh, yeah. Even if I could understand. The source of her trauma, even knowing that that it's an irrational thing. Uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, some of her trauma comes from the fact that, you know, Bruce's brother was killed in Vietnam. Yeah. And so having a young Vietnamese girl in the family for her, uh, is, is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated the nuance you brought to that storyline and how it progressed throughout the entire book. Uh, and, you know, and we didn't really get, and I'm, I'm no, I don't want to, I don't want to move into spoilers on that. So I won't, I'll, yeah. stop, I'll stop there. Um, I, I think I know what you were about to say. And, yeah. um, there has been an edit since the edition you have. Okay. So, um, I, I, yeah, <laughs> that's all I'll say too. Cause I don't okay. want to spoil We'll talk, we'll talk. Okay. Okay. A little yes. bit later. Uh, um, and anyway, yeah. it's a, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a great thread i felt that you wrote it very well um what i i I don't know how to ask the question without spoilers so so i'm just gonna let you talk about talk to me about the character and what you hope to portray through the character of hilda and and even even her husband well you know i i i think that we all have those people in our lives, maybe they're a relative or, um, or somebody that, that we've known for a long time that we love. We really genuinely love them, but the things they say and think are harmful and not nice um, and, and wrong and often racist. And, um, but we still love them, you know, and, and the grief that we feel for what they say that hurts other people and for the things that they say that hurt them, you know, um, Hilda is bitter. She has allowed, she has allowed her grief to turn into bitterness, which, um, I see a lot. And, uh, I, I've not lost a child in the way that, that she, the character did. Um, and so I, I would hope that I wouldn't, get to that point, but I can't promise I wouldn't, you know, um, because grief can do, can do terrible things to people. Mm. And, and Hilda, I wanted her to be complex. I wanted mm. her, I wanted her to be loved, but I also wanted her to, to kind of embody the kind of person that says terrible things. And, but then, you know, how do you confront that? How do you face that after so long when, when it, there's, this person is strong and, um, and kind of intimidating. Um, and I think that we're, we're finding ourselves in those situations, maybe with an aunt or uncle, you know, at, at Thanksgiving, um, once we can have Thanksgiving, but, um, 
I just think that, that um, we all know somebody like that. Mm-hmm. We all do. And, and what do we do in those situations? And um, the way that, that my characters in the book respond changed in the last, the last time I got to go through it. I was able to nail down exactly how I wanted. It took a long time and a lot of different drafts to finally get the characters to react to her um, in a certain way. But, um, and it's interesting because I realized I didn't want her to be just an evil character because I don't think that that's very authentic, you know? Um, but I wanted her and her husband is named Ivan. He is the foil to her. He Mm -hmm. is, he is the opposite. And he's this, this accepting man who, who's trying He's trying to understand. He's trying to reach out and make an impact. And um, the way he, you know, he reminds me a lot of both of my grandfathers, just just how kind and silly but sensitive they both were. Um, so whereas Hilda is bitter and closed off, Ivan, Ivan's grief is, is more manifest in him wanting to really love the people around him mm-hmm. and to accept. Um, yeah. And why, why, you know, why does a man like him stay with a woman like that? Because he's a man like that. Like that's the kind of man he is. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I have, um, no, I think that's going to have to be a spoiler as well. So I want to I want to give this question. <laughs> I want to I want I'll give you this question first, and then I'll say that we're moving into spoilers. And if you want to answer that question, you can, but you don't have to. Uh, so okay. we'll we'll wrap up the definitely non-spoiler part of the podcast. <laughs> and um, I know that we're recording this interview in March, and the book does not come out until July. Uh, so when I ask the question, what, do, what do you have next? The answer really is this book. Uh, but what are you working on? <laughs> what, what can you tell me about what you're working on right now? I am writing a book that will release in 2022 does not yet have a title, but it is set in 1952 and it is another sister story. I, I really love writing sister stories. Um, and it involves, all-American girls baseball, um, mm-hmm. the baseball league, like a league of their own, mm-hmm. and communism, some McCarthyism, and Shakespeare. So it's all wrapped up in this one novel. And um, it's actually a lot of fun. And, I mean, there's there's the typical Susie emotional, like, heaviness to it. But um, I'm really enjoying writing these characters, and it it's it's a joy so mm-hmm. i i can't wait for people to read this one too yeah i i'm i'm here for it i'm <laughs> however you however many novels you decide to write i will be there to read wow um, thank you <laughs> so moving moving into spoilers for sure and again if you choose not to answer this you don't want to answer it that's fine or if you want to answer it mm-hmm. off the record that's also fine um so if you haven't read the book yet and you're listening to this podcast, then you need to stop right now. Uh, you've heard <laughs> enough to know that you want to read this book. Um, okay, here we go. 
the book the book ends with Min finding a connection to her birth family. Yes. And uh, Min and Sunny set off to Vietnam to to visit them. And mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's such a great way to end the novel because the nature of small birds is to fly. Mm-hmm. And we end with Bruce's two daughters literally flying off to discover one's lost identity. Mm-hmm. And that's where the novel ends. But I want to know what happened once they got to Vietnam. <laughs> well, you know, so as I was conceiving how to end this novel, because that is the hardest part is the, the, the two hardest parts are the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I was thinking of it, I was like, I want the reader to, I don't want to have everything answered. Mm-hmm. Um, because I want the reader to be in that play, same space as Bruce is, not mm-hmm. not knowing. And the reader is letting go of the characters too. Um, and so not knowing what happens next, not knowing how it goes. Um, but I know readers don't like that. <laughs> I like so from a literary perspective, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from the perspective of someone who just like wants to continue the story, it was like, okay. <laughs> do, yeah. do, do you think you'll come back to these characters? Do you think that there's do you think there's more to the story that you'll ever tell? I I don't I I don't know that I am going to write any more series. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to to write the kind of stories that you step into and then you step out of. Mm-hmm. Um, but. But if, if you want to know my opinion of what happens, um, my opinion is that Min has this, this connection with her brother, with her birth brother, and meets his family, and that they're able to have, have a growing relationship even from across an ocean, even from the other side of the, I mean, literally the other side of the world. Um, and I don't know if that means that they, his family comes to visit or visit Michigan or what happens. But um, but in my mind, when I think of it, I really desire for her to, to learn who she is as a Vietnamese-American woman and to learn how to, to make the food that she's had when she's on her trip there. And, um, and in the, in the novel, she's starting to learn to speak Vietnamese again. And um, I I want her to have that reconnection with who she is um, as a whole, you know, not just who she is in America or who she is in Vietnam, but who she is as Min, as Mm -hmm. her whole self. Um, and I, I just, I want her to be so happy. I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I, you know, I think I connected so much with it and wanted to know where the story goes because again, you know, I have, I have two adopted children who have, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 it's not as much of a stretch for them to figure out who their, their birth families yeah. are because we know them. Uh, but I, that same desire for them to grow up and to have an appropriate, safe connection mm-hmm. to their birth family 
um, and for them to not feel like they've lost something of themselves yeah. uh, is, is very important. So, so, so yeah, so to, to end the book that way, which is both, it's where I knew the, and it's where I knew it was going to end. It was absolutely, again, absolutely perfect. Um, but Thank you. yeah, you, you, even if you wanted to leave it there, uh, for the story's sake, I, I knew that you had to have had something, you had to have some head cannon out there on <laughs> what you wanted yeah. to happen next. Uh, yeah, yeah so for I those usually you, have an idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, for those of you that are still with us, hopefully you already know about the book, uh, The Nature of Small <laughs> Birds. It's coming out in July. Uh, Susie, thank you. Thank you for your time. I, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I feel like we always get to talk about such great, deep themes uh, because of what how you write your books. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate the way that you are constantly pointing readers toward books and um and and just highlighting books and that just as an author it it does my heart good